Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 185. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is the most famous cosmetic chemist, at least according to Google and himself, Perry Romanowski. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. It's good to see you again this week. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while. I had that uh, show last week, but I'm so glad that you're back uh, to to help shoulder the load of answering these beauty questions and talking about all the stuff going on in the beauty industry. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. We're going to be answering your beauty questions about... Does this product actually keep the surface of your makeup cooler as claimed? Whether or not DIY sunscreens are a good idea? Are there any hairsprays that don't have alcohol? And we have two new segments for you. But before that, I did stumble on something that some of the Beauty Brains listeners might be interested in. Oh, what's that? Well, you remember the the former co-host, Randy Schuler? I do remember him. Yeah, I I was tipped off. Uh, he's you know he was a comic book kind of nerdy guy. <laughs> you might not have mm. noticed that, but um, and he's of course he's loving all these new comic book movies that are out. But uh, he actually was responsible for creating one or being the inspiration for one of the characters that then went on to get its own movie and stuff. He designed this this outfit for Spider Man, which eventually turned into a character called Venom. Anyway, he actually had written a story, and they're actually going to do a whole comic book on the story that he wrote. So, Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I'll put a link to in the show notes to where that's happening. But the story's supposed to—the the new comic book that he's going to get writing credit on is coming out in August. Mm, from cosmetic chemist to comic writer. <laughs> to, really just comic book nerd, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, uh, it is good to be back today, but I will say that it's short-lived. Uh, I'm going on vacation next week, and I oh, think you are too, right? I am. Well, and you're going to Europe? Prague. Oh, that's fun. I'm going to Punta Canta. Two Ps. I... <laughs> is, it, is it Punta Canta or Punta Cana? I'm not really sure. I've, I don't really like the beach anyway. I'm more of a non-warm weather person, even though I live in L.A., well, I, I hope we'll both have fun and we'll have to find some time to record. Uh, maybe just little segments we'll record and put them together as a show. Yeah, a couple, couple questions or something like that. Uh, let's move on to beauty news. And we actually have a new segment going on for our fans. So this new segment we have for you guys is called Not So Clean Beauty, a public service announcement. And what we want to do here is let our fans know who are probably beauty junkies or maybe know someone who is a beauty junkie about cosmetic recalls for whatever the reason is. Right. One of the things that you hear on the internet or you read on the internet often is that the cosmetic industry is unregulated, at least in the United States. And that's clearly not true. I mean, there are recalls. And so the FDA, who does regulate the cosmetic industry, they actually publish when products are recalled. But who's going to the FDA website to read about a recall or who's subscribed to the FDA recall mailing list? 
probably not a lot of people. So what we thought we would do here is let you know if any cosmetic products have been recalled between our episodes so that you can see if you have it um, in your bathroom or wherever you keep your beauty products. And I think it's really important because one time I did go to the FDA website to look up cosmetic recalls and this was years ago. And I accidentally went to the food page for FDA recalls and right in front of me was a recall for a jar of peanut butter. And oh. I actually had the affected batch number in my kitchen cabinets. Really? And had I not gone to the FDA website for cosmetics, I would have never noticed that my food was being recalled. I just threw it away. So anyway, hopefully uh, this public service announcement will help our fans realize that they may have some not so clean beauty or not so right beauty in their house. And it might help inspire some of these brands who might be taking some liberties with uh, the way that they preserve their products to properly preserve them. Yeah. So we actually did have one recall on the FDA website on May 24th, and the Village Company was recalling a styling gel over contamination concerns. Yeah, so if you have that product, we'll put a link in the show. You might not want to use it. I have not heard of the Village Company, but I wish them luck in overcoming their challenges, both figurative and literal, their preservation efficacy challenges. Get it? It's a lab test. (laughs) Bad joke. I I guess you had to know what we were talking about. All right, let's move on to beauty beauty news. You see any stories in the news that uh, got you all a Twitter on Twitter? Oh gosh. So I did come across a brand and I'm not going to mention who it is because I don't like brand shaming. I mean, if I don't like something, I'll say it, but I, I don't want to embarrass companies. It's you know, I, I don't feel good doing that. Uh, but yeah, in general, in general, we try to be friendly with people. And, yeah, uh, I mean, every every company has its own issues and and positives and all that kind of stuff. So, but I did come across a brand, a very large company that launched a waterless beauty brand somewhere in the world, and. Waterless beauty is a trend on the horizon. It's about water conservation and not using more water than you have to in the making or the using of the product. And when I went to the website, I noticed that all of the products were aerosol products. Aerosols don't typically use water. It's great for the environment you didn't use water, but what about the ozone layer? (laughs) <laughs> right, or, or just putting VOCs into the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, I just was like, wow, the marketing department there didn't really think that one through. Tried to do a good thing it, and ended up doing a worse thing. Right, spraying more water into the air is certainly less harmful than spraying VOCs into the air. Yeah, for so sure. It's I... interesting that they would go with a, an environmental marketing spin there. <laughs> yeah, they they didn't consult a scientist on that one. Hey, Valerie, I saw that one of our industry organizations is organizing a, a whole topic on the skin microbiome. And it seems like everywhere I look in all these press releases that I see, everyone's talking about the microbiome. I think we've mentioned the microbiome before on the show as a trend. It certainly is trending, but I don't think we've really gone into a lot of detail about it. I know that it's getting popular in the cosmetics industry about, amongst both marketers and ingredient companies doing microbiome research. Yeah, and I hear it everywhere, and it's it's a little troubling to me because we really 
don't have as much science and knowledge about it as the marketing of these products seems. So I thought we should cover, first of all, let's let's talk about what is the microbiome and then what's like the validity of it being used in products. So we'll start with the microbiome. Uh, the basic premise of the microbiome is the realization that on your skin are, is a whole tapestry of microorganisms. We've got bacteria, we've got uh, we've got mites. You ever see the Demodex mites that live on our skin? I can't I can't look at those photos. I get like <laughs> I just want to tug all my eyelashes out when I when I see yeah. those pictures. So the whole the whole point is that scientists have re, have discovered all of these microorganisms living on the skin and they got the notion that these microorganisms are somehow involved in giving in making sure you have healthy skin and this led to the the notion that there are some good bacteria and some bad bacteria and this is very interesting it's all it's all valid science people are looking at it but what happens then is once once some sciencey sounding topic comes out in the beauty world the marketers are quick to pick up this new story, and now I just see this proliferation of products that say that they're they're launching a product that's going to target your skin's microbiome and promising that whatever's in this product is going to uh, help you get better skin because it targets the microbiome. And this is just way ahead of what the science would say you could actually do. The thing about the microbiome Perry, you're right. It's, it is a really important topic when it comes to the human skin because everyone's microbiome is different personally. It's a really complicated topic. We're at the very beginning of learning about it. And not only are there good microbes and bad microbes, but sometimes good microbes can behave badly and vice versa. And there's just too much that we don't know right now. And marketing is already trying to push products to help tame the microbiome. And we're still just at the very beginning of research about it. I like that. I need, I think I need a t-shirt, good microbes behaving badly. <laughs> <laughs> there actually used to be a, a prank TV show, which I, I uh, am ashamed to admit that I used to love called Girls Behaving Badly with uh, Chelsea Handler. Yeah, it cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. Back to the microbiome. I bring this up because it's important for you as consumers to know that this is kind of how beauty product marketing works. The challenge that beauty marketers have is that the, t the technology, the real technology that has the effect on skin, the occlusive agents, the humectants, the emollients, that technology doesn't change that much. And so it's very difficult for a marketer to differentiate their product. So they need stories, and this microbiome is a story. The idea that there's some technology out there that tells us uh, that this this ingredient will be good for your microbiome and boost good microbes, and this will kill off bad microbes, we just we don't know that. The reality is that science cannot tell us what is even the ideal population of the microbes on your skin. And it's evolving over time. You make one change, it evolves. You make another change, it evolves. It's just too complex. Yeah, and so the bottom line here is that this is just another marketing story. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of interesting science that's going on here. In fact, there's a big conference coming up on talking just about the skin microbiome. But this is just not ready for prime time, and it's just not ready for products. 
Yeah, but keep your eyes open. You're going to see these products pop up and we're here for you when you're ready to ask your questions about them. Yeah, if there's some specific claim you're wondering about, feel free to bring on the claims and we'll take it apart and see what they actually are saying and how they might prove that the claim. Because in general, cosmetic companies, they don't lie. At least they don't lie in advertising. That's, That's illegal and they can get fines for that. But they do write things in a way where they might be saying something to you, or at least you take that as them saying something, where they're actually saying something differently. Mm-hmm. I want to continue a segment that you brought back last week, Perry, Kitchen Cosmetics, a review of uh, homemade yes, uh... beauty hacks and whether they're safe or I would say more importantly, but safety is pretty important, uh, effective. Do they even work? Right. Well, let me cue up the intro music. <laughs> well, Perry, uh, question of the day, is beer good for your hair? I know it's good for the body. Is it good for your hair? <laughs> well, good for the brain. I, 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 don't, I don't know. No, it's probably not good for you. It's enjoyable I, for the body. I, I was at a graduation party uh, yesterday, and I had a, a few too many beers down my gullet, and I was singing a lot of songs. That's why I have the gravelly voice today. <laughs> So let's talk about beer. I'm sure you've heard this advice to rinse your hair with beer. Yeah, it's like a ancient legend, I feel like. It's something you hear that people did in the 50s and 60s uh, before they went out on a date. Uh, I personally have never done it, but it's just something I feel like is folklore. Yeah, and so we wanted to take a look at it. Now, there are several theoretical arguments for putting beer on your hair and it's not surprising that somebody would come up with this idea right (laughs) unfortunately the idea of putting beer on your hair and making it good for your hair there's not a lot of uh well that's not going to hold up to scrutiny really you mean it can't hold its liquor (laughs) that's right so let's talk about what what is beer and how could it possibly help your hair so valerie beer has a lot of protein in it so that's one thing to do and we talked about Uh, protein that could be good for hair, right? Well, yeah, proteins are typically good for providing a lot of benefits to hair. Uh, Could be strength, moisturization, etc. And while beer does contain proteins from corn, wheat, or rice, depending on what beer it is, it's not in the correct form that's going to deposit on a hair and form that film, which is how proteins work in hair. They form a film on the hair of some kind and give it a benefit, and the protein in beer just won't do that. Now, another characteristic of beer that might make sense that it's going to have an effect on hair, hair is that beer typically has a low pH. And there is a notion that a low pH could tighten the cuticles and maybe that's going to make your hair shiny. I'm skeptical of that because it, it's, it's also going to uh, it's also gonna wet your hair and it's going to swell the fiber and so that's going to lift the cuticles. So I, I don't know. Beer also contains herbs. We know them as hops, which are natural astringents, which could have some beneficial tightening effect of the scalp or feel to the hair. The hops, of course, are at a very low level, unless you're drinking one of those disgusting double IPAs or whatever. Uh. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the hops just are in contact long enough with your skin to have any measurable effect. All right, you just put it on your hair and it's going to just rinse away. So I just, that's not going to have effect. Mm-hmm. The other thing, of course, beer contains alcohol, some more than others. And there is a notion that oh yeah, alcohol can help to remove dirt and grease from a surface. But uh, 
you know, the cleansing power of alcohol is just relatively low, and the amount of alcohol in beer is, is going to be low too. And it's just going to pale in comparison to what a shampoo could actually do. Like, if you get grease all over your hair, you don't dump it in vodka to get rid of the oil. <laughs> you, you use a surfactant. Unless you get smashed over the head with a bottle of vodka. But, yeah, <laughs> you, you shampoo your hair. And so, really, the bottom line is beer is not going to hurt your hair other than maybe it'll be unenjoyable to smell in the shower. But I don't think it's going to really provide any technical benefits. So don't dip your hair in beer. Just drink it and do some karaoke. Save it for drinking. Shall we do our beauty questions? Let's do it. Our first question of the day is an audio question. Hi, my name is Blue Plastic, and I have a question about... Urban Decay's setting spray called All Nighter, and there are other sprays similar to this made by Scandinavia that claim that they have temperature control technology that actually keeps the surface of your makeup cool and therefore the makeup will stay on better after you spray the product, the All Nighter spray, on your face after a makeup application. And I was wondering if there is any way that any ingredients in this product could possibly do that. Thank you. So the product in question, Urban Decay's All Nighter Long Lasting Makeup Setting Spray. Yes, I got that from the website. Most certainly will keep your makeup in place, but whether or not it keeps makeup cooler as claimed may be a different story. We got the uh, ingredient list here, and it looks like uh, a water alcohol spray with the... Just a bunch of other stuff in it, yeah. No, there's one of my favorite ingredients of all time is in there. PVP. Oh. Polyvinyl pyrrolidone. I love (laughs) that ingredient. PVP. uh, So it's a polymer. It's a very tried and true technology that isn't necessarily cutting edge. But what is cutting edge in the formula is Paloxmer 407 in the ingredient listing. Way at the bottom down there. Ah, yeah. yeah. So Paloxmer 407 is a polymer that's a mixture of hydrophobic polypropylene oxide and hydrophilic polyethylene oxide blocks in a particular sequence. And that particular sequence allows the Paloxmer to have a reversible gelation property above a certain concentration and temperature. So for example, it can exist in a fluid state and when the temperature increases, let's say to your body temperature, the polymer gels up and forms a gel. So it does the opposite of what a gel typically does when you warm it up. This technology is used in the pharmaceutical industry for drug delivery and Obviously, Urban Decay is not using it for that reason, but I think they're using it because the theory is that this gelation uh, called Sol Gel um, technology probably has some thermodynamic properties that allows them to support the keeping the makeup cool claim. Unfortunately, Uh, I don't think they're using enough of this ingredient to actually have the product be responsible for that feature. I think it's more or less for label claim but either way it's pretty neat that they've played on this technology for a story it's marketing it will have an initial cooling effect and that's going to be due to being sprayed with water and alcohol correct and as those things evaporate that gives you the cooling it's the same sort of cooling idea that your body sweats and as it evaporates it cools you down exactly 
you know, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about PVP, my one of my favorite ingredients. When I first was introduced to it, uh, I was told that PVP is the polymer that they put on M&Ms to hold the M on. Really? Yeah, it's an edible polymer. It was actually used uh, initially as a blood extender, like during the war, or during some war or something like that. Uh, but that's what that's what it's used for now too. Interesting. I didn't know it was edible. I mean, I don't think I wouldn't call it edible um, in necessarily at a hundred percent, but I, I didn't know that it was used in edibles. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, just uh, get a, a spoonful of PVP and suck <laughs> it right down. <laughs> oh gosh. wait, I'm not saying to do that. Don't do that. Yeah, do not do that. Warning: Do not do that at home. Well, let's go to our second question. All right, this question comes to us from Jess. She emailed this to us. She said, Hi, I am trying to reduce the waste I produce and so have been interested in DIY recipes that mean I can avoid plastic packaging. Very laudable goal there. I have seen recipes for DIY sunscreens, but I am worried that the sunscreen is too important to DIY. Am I being overly cautious? Thanks. Well, Jess, I'm glad you wrote in, and it's a great idea to reduce your plastic packaging footprint. Uh, plastic is a huge problem out there, and we've got to start doing something about it. But I'm also glad that you're being cautious because doing a DIY sunscreen is just a terrible idea. It is not a good idea to make your own sunscreen. It is very dangerous to do that. I agree, and therefore, I don't think you're being overly cautious. No, there's so many things on the internet where they say that uh, a natural oil is going to give you SPF protection. And granted, there are some there are some oils where people have run them through an SPF test and they might get an SPF rating of a two or a three. And the thing is, you're never going to get higher than that. It's And while it might protect a tiny bit of the UV rays, it's not nearly adequate enough to protect you from the sun. It's just not, so So natural oils aren't going to work properly. I, I guess you could get, you could order up some avobenzone or... Uh, Zinc oxide, a lot of uh, ingredient companies online for home crafters, we'll call them, uh, do sell zinc oxide. I do not recommend this because the zinc oxide versions they typically sell are uncoated. And the whole point of sun protection is that it's formed on an even film on your skin so that the whole of your skin is protected. And with the zinc oxide and equipment you have at home, uh, you just can't get a nice enough uh, dispersion of the pigment throughout whatever preparation you have. So you're not going to get the coverage that you need. Yeah, and the thing about a product like a sunscreen is it's, it's actually an over-the-counter drug. Uh, this is a product that works. We know they work. They've been proven effective, but you have to manufacture them in a specific way. It's just not something you can mix up in your kitchen and have confidence that you're going to protect yourself. I don't mind that people are in their kitchen mixing up moisturizing creams or even shampoos or body balms or those sorts of things because you're not going to you're not going to necessarily harm yourself although you could and so I say it's always better to buy finished products but you're you're not going to you're probably not going to really hurt yourself but if you're making your own sunscreen and it's not it's not doesn't work properly and you think you're being protected it, that's just not a good idea you can actually be harmed very very badly 
I know a lot of people, Perry, make homemade sunscreens because they want to avoid the nasties in chemical sunscreens that these evil corporations sell. And oh boy, yeah. And the reality is the the benefits of using any type of sunscreen that is currently on the market today outweighs the benefits of sun exposure long term. And I have a lot of friends on Facebook and there's a certain time of year these messages start to pop up where they advertise they're using homemade blends of coconut oil, carrot oil, and lavender oil to have a homemade sunscreen for their children. And it's just really dangerous. And Wait for their children too? Oh yes. Yeah. And I just cringe because they feel like they're doing a good thing by avoiding uh, conventional sunscreens that you can get at the store. But the end of the day they're doing more harm and I I just don't make it yourself just please go buy it there are plenty of options on the market that whatever your uh, formula ethos is you know if you want to avoid certain ingredients that's fine there are sunscreens on the market for you I promise but don't make it yourself yeah it it is it's not going to be cheaper it's not going to be effective and it's dangerous exactly well, we have time today for one more audio question. Excellent. Hello, Beauty Brains. Here's your devoted listener from Germany. I have another question, which is about hairsprays. So I've been trying to reduce the level of harmful, or what you can read on the internet is harmful ingredients on my hair, even though I do not avoid sulfates. I do avoid silicones to a certain degree because they tend to down, weigh down my hair, even though it's not curly, it's more wavy, but I like my wave. So anyway, <laughs> I've been looking for um, alcohol-free uh, hairspray because this is the only product that I have not been able to substitute yet. All hairsprays that I have seen do have some kind of alcohol. Now, in Germany, um, at least there's a brand called Nivea, which has recently came up with a new range of hairsprays, and they claim not to have any alcohol in them. So they are specifically developed for wavy or curly hair. Um, but I, when I read the ingredients at the back, I do believe there is some. So I'll s- snap a picture, I'll send it together with this audio file and if you have a moment have a look and let me know whether it's really without alcohol and if it is is there anything substituting it in the sense that it could also be drying or not very good for my wavy hair thank you thank you loyal listener for sending this question in the point of a hairspray is to deliver a polymer to the hair to keep it in place. It's something you do at the end of a look. Hairsprays are finishing sprays. So you don't want the hair to be too wet when you're applying the spray at the end of your style. So it needs to be dry and feel. The only way to do that is to use something in the formula that evaporates very quickly into the air, like alcohol. Ah, yes. The most conventional ingredient used is denatured alcohol dispersed in water with a polymer and you typically find those in the old-fashioned pump sprays where you have to pump your finger a million times to get the spray out and those can be quite wet because you're using water so nowadays most hairsprays are made in an aerosol format so they're without water and sometimes even without alcohol because instead of using alcohol as the main solvent for the polymer and evaporant 
aerosol sprays use propellants, which are volatile organic compounds, meaning once they're expelled from the can, they volatilize into the atmosphere. It's why we were, I guess, sort of cringing and laughing at the brand that made waterless products that were aerosols, because when, when you spray out these VOCs, they just, they just go into the atmosphere. And the more VOCs that are in the hairspray, the drier the end look is. You have less liquid on the hair. And this tends to be preferred because it doesn't ruin your style and it just locks the hair in place. So the fact that Nivea is touting they have an alcohol-free hairspray is nothing miraculous. Most aerosol sprays don't use alcohol. They use VOC propellants. So Nivea is just really stating the obvious about aerosol formulations as a marketing ploy. They really haven't created anything new other than new marketing. We should mention that aerosols, thanks to largely to California and the United States anyway, aerosols are strictly controlled the amount of VOCs that you're allowed to put in formulas. I remember when I was at uh, working on the, the, the Tresemme and the VO5 styling products, we had to go to a 55% VOC hairspray. And most of the ways that companies got to 55% VOCs is that they just put water in their products, which is a is not a good ingredient for hairsprays. That's why hairsprays today don't work nearly as well as the hairsprays that used to be. Oh yeah, not at all. And it's interesting that in Europe, they don't really care so much about VOCs other than the type of VOC that goes in the product. But in Europe, typically 80% is a VOC standard for hairsprays over there. So people tend to like the European hairsprays better because they're drier. And, and that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and whether or not alcohol is really harmful to the hair. Uh, Perry, I'll let you take this one. Well, you know what? Alcohol gets a bad rep for both being in the hair and on the skin. First of all, there's a lot of confusion with consumers about alcohol because people think alcohol, just all alcohols are bad. Whereas as chemists, we know alcohol refers to really any molecule that has an OH group in it in general, or it's, it's a little more complicated than that. But generally we talk about it's got an oxygen and a hydrogen bonded to some sort of carbon chain length, and those are called alcohols. So people think alcohol and something like cetyl alcohol is an alcohol. It's, it's not the same thing. They don't work chemically the same way. Uh, they're different. But if we go just with alcohol, we're talking about ethanol, which is the same kind of thing that you drink, but it's an ingredient that's used in formulating styling products. And this notion that when you put alcohol on your hair, it's going to be drying, there's just no, there's no scientific support for this. You can make a, a logical case that maybe it's a problem uh, because alcohol, as we spoke about earlier in the, in the beer segment, alcohol, it can be a, a cleansing ingredient. And so it can interact with the oils on your hair and, well, help move them around or break any kind of uh, film on there. But it will just evaporate off. It's, uh, it doesn't actually dry out the hair, as has been said. It doesn't dry out the skin either, as far as I can tell. But that's uh, one that's up for scientific debate. I've had some back and forth with uh, Paula's Choice, who that brand is really concerned about alcohol and skin products. And I'm not as much because there's limited evidence that it actually dries your skin. But having said that, I don't think you have to worry about alcohol in your hair products drying out your hair. I think there's worse things that can do that. Yeah.
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. All right. If you get a chance, you can go over to iTunes and leave us a review. I was just looking through some of those, and it always makes me happy to read a nice review. And it always puts me in a foul mood to read a bad one. <laughs> so it's up to you. <laughs> anyway, just leave a review. That's going to help other people find the show, and it ensures that uh, we get more of your beauty product questions. Also, follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do it. That will help keep the show going and avoid those pesky advertisements about uh, uh, mattresses that you can buy in the mail and shaving clubs and things like that. It just gets so maddening with uh, my my favorite podcasts, and they're always dumping in these advertisements. I, I just don't want to hear that. So if you don't want to hear that on The Beauty Brains... Uh, feel free to keep us ad-free and go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Yeah, we, Valerie, I was just oh, I was just looking. We we have like 26 uh, patrons already. So, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, guys, we don't want to have to take solicitations from ingredient suppliers and other companies just to keep us going. So any support you guys can provide is much appreciated. Well, everyone, thanks again for listening, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens!